This is a production of the Z Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online, and I have to close the porch door because just as I was going on the air, the damn cat came off the porch. (laughs) That's how it goes. And I should also uh, warn you that you might hear some rumbles in the background because it's a dark and stormy night. Um, Let's see. First, got to clear up something I said last week. I made a little mistake. I was wrong about something. Oh, I know what happens. Uh, I was, I, and I caught it myself. Um, I was talking about the moon landings, the Apollo missions that uh, that uh, 50 years now it's been since uh, the first uh, since Apollo 11 took place, and uh, and I and I mentioned that there were uh, a certain number of men who have walked on the moon, and I said it was six. I wasn't sure. I wasn't certain. I said I think it's six, but I was wrong. It's actually double that. It was 12 men walked on the surface of the moon. Uh, there were six successful missions to the moon, you know, landing men on the moon and bringing them back. There would have been 14 men to walk on the moon had Apollo 11, or not Apollo 11, Apollo 13, not had its uh, problem. Uh, so what happened with Apollo 13 was you know, something something blue and it uh, caused some problems with the uh, uh, you know with the mission and so they realized that you know they only had enough uh, power to uh, just get back home so they had to you know to, to abort the landing on the moon uh, the movie Apollo 13 covers it fairly well it's a dramatization so it probably takes a little license here and there but uh, but it's probably fairly close to uh, what actually happened anyway so I got that wrong there were 12 men who walked on the surface of the moon and came back uh, alive. And that's pretty awesome. Um, it's been 50 years since we managed to do that. Okay. Uh, I'm going to do a little sports update for you right now. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't like sports, I've got sports. Um, the uh, Minnesota Twins, my favorite baseball team, well, let's see. Um, they are setting home run records, uh, uh, well, twice at least at this point. Uh, uh, they have hit, um, uh, they are, let's see, the record they broke uh, last uh, earlier in the week was uh, they have five, they have, uh, five home runs or more in a game nine times this season. So there's nine games in which the Twins have hit at least five home runs. 
And that broke the record set by the Boston Red Sox, I believe, in 1977 with eight games. And so the Twins now hold the record of uh, nine games in a season with at least five, hon- five home runs in it. And also home run related is uh, they are the, uh, the team. They just set this record tonight. Uh, just as I record this, just earlier tonight, they they once again beat the um, uh, the Chicago White Sox, which my friend uh, Dave called me earlier today and said, you know, why can't we? Well, he was saying that it'd be great. It's a long shot, but it'd be great if the Twins could make it to the World Series and play the Chicago White Sox. That would be a really long, long shot because. The Chicago White Sox are also in the American League, and they're in the same division as the Twins. So it's not possible that those teams would be in the World Series playing each other. It's just not possible. But it could happen where they end up in the um, you know uh, you know in the postseason playing each other. It's that's possible. But White Sox aren't so great this season. So it'd be nice if the Twins could play them all the time. Uh, anyway. Tonight, earlier tonight, they made it to 200 home runs in the season, uh, and that's their—that's the quickest to get to 200 home runs in a season, and that's 103 games to get to the 200 mark. Uh, the previous record—I forget which year—but the previous record was held by the Texas Rangers, which w- uh, it took 122 games to get there. So 19 games quicker. Do I have the math right? Is that the math correct? Is that right? 19? Let's see. 20 minus 12 minus... I think that's 19. Is that? Is that? Is it? Yeah. Anyway, if my math is wrong, correct me. Send it to Dim, Dr. Dim at dimland.com. D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. Send it there. Email me and tell me I got my math wrong. So um, that's been pretty cool. What hasn't been cool... and Well, uh, I guess it's, this is kind of cool in that uh, I'm not psychic. I'm not. And no, and I, and being a skeptic as I am, uh, I don't believe anybody is is psychic. I think they're either fooling themselves or mistaken, or they're faking it. Um, I think most people who believe themselves to be um, psychic, you know, really believe it. So they're 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 to put it gently, they're mistaken. Uh, to put it less gently, they're fooling themselves. But yeah, that's what I think. I could be wrong. There could be somebody out there. I don't know, but uh, the evidence I've seen thus far just not does not support that. So, um, but there are the, there are some that know that they're not psychic and they're just and they're faking it. And I'm not going to mention any names. <clears throat> okay, I'm not even though you know. Yeah, Sylvia Brown's been dead for a while now, so maybe I could mention her name. But uh, I think she probably knew she. Well, what do I know? I don't know. Maybe she didn't know. I don't know, but I think she didn't know. I think she did know. Anyway. I'm not psychic. Why am I not psychic? Well, I get to be fairly pessimistic when it comes to sports. It's, it's, I fully admit this. Uh, when it comes to my skepticism, uh, it tends to go on hold when it comes to sports. My emotionalism takes over. My, my critical thinking just kind of takes a break. And it's, so I, I get, you know, I just, it's, it's just something I do. I do it with the Vikings. I do it with the Twins. Because um, those are the two teams that I guess I, that mean the most to me, especially the Twins. Um, uh, just, just recently, there was a nine-game home stand 
with the Twins. They were playing at, at Target Field, and they were hosting three teams. They had two games to start it off with against the uh, the uh, New York Mets, then four games with the uh, Oakland A's, and then three games with the hated Yankees. And it was going to be a tough stretch. And prior to that, the Twins were seemed to be, to me, faltering a little bit. They're still winning here and there, but they seem to be, they faltered. They, they went so long in the season without losing more than two games in a row, and then they finally did win, lose three games in a row. But that's not, that's not terrible. It's not awful. It's, you know, it's in a long baseball season. There's ups and downs in that. So that's, it's, it's okay. But there's just problems. Especially when you get into the later innings and the starting pitcher gets taken out and the relievers come in, they've been following up lately, and so it just had this feeling. And my my gut was telling me the Twins are not going to do very well in this homestand. Uh, the Mets aren't 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 a great team, but they're not t- too terrible, and they were surging a little bit of late. The Oakland A's are a better team, and of course the hated Yankees are well, well you know they're always. They always seem to be pretty good, and they're pretty good this season. And so I predicted prior to the nine games that uh, the Twins would lose the two games against the Mets. They would win only one game against the Oakland A's, and they would be swept. They'd lose all three games against the hated Yankees. That's what I said. I said on that homestand, that nine games, they're going to end up going one and eight. And quite likely, I also predicted that uh, uh, they would end up uh, in second place to the Cleveland Indians, who'd been surging of late. They, they narrowed the gap. The Twins had something like a 10-game lead on them or 12-game lead on them at some point. And I think as of, as of doing this recording, I'm not exactly sure, but it's two games, maybe two and a half games. I'm not sure if uh, Cleveland played today. So anyway, that's what I did. So what happened? First two games against the Mets, Twins lost. First game against Oakland, Twins lost. Second game against Oakland, the Twins won. So, so far, through four games, my prediction is holding. I went. I predicted one and nine. I predicted one win against the Oakland A's. Four-game season, I figured, not season, four-game series, I figured, you know, at least one win there. So then, uh, I think it was uh, last Saturday's game, I got a, uh, uh, a text message from, uh, from my friend Dave, who I mentioned earlier. He and I talk about the Twins frequently, and uh, if we follow the, the games. And, uh, but I was watching a movie or something, and I got these texts after, afterward, and it's, it had on there, uh, he said, Damn it, Kreskin! <laughs> and I thought, Oh, what's he doing? What's he doing? And then the next, next text he sent was the word retracted, and then the next text was unretracted. So what had happened was uh, the Twins were, were trailing, and it looked like they were going to lose. So here again, my prediction was holding. And this is like, they're going to lose. And then the Twins went ahead. So he retracted it. Oh, maybe they'll win. But then they ended up going behind again, and they ended up losing. So again, now through five games, my prediction is holding. But fortunately, I'm not psychic. And uh, game uh, uh, four against the uh, Oakland A's, 
the Twins won that one. So they actually split that series. They won two. So now they're so my prediction's wrong. It was good through five games, but not it didn't make it past that. And then they play the hated Yankees. In they come. And I'm telling you, those games were something. Because uh, the first two especially, they were just, uh, the Twins were hitting home runs and the Yankees were hitting home runs. It was just back and forth and up and down. The Twins won the first game. They did beat the hated Yankees. Well, that's great. And they had a chance. They had two chances in the second game to beat the hated Yankees. They were one. They were down to just needing one out. And, you know, and I think maybe just one strike. And they ended up Allowing the uh, uh, in the late innings, allowing uh, in the bottom of the ninth, it was allowing the uh, uh, the Yankees to go from the score of being um, let's see, eleven to ten to twelve to eleven. You know, the Twins were leading, and now they're behind by a run. But in the bottom of the eighth, uh, it was the top of the eighth when the, the Yankees took the lead. In the bottom of the eighth, the Twins tied it up, and then they went into overtime, uh, extra innings, and in the fourteenth inning. Um, was it the 14th inning? No, it was uh, the 11th inning. Um, the uh, Yankees, hated Yankees, scored t- two runs, went up 14-12, to 12, Twins lost. Next game, the Twins got beat up fairly well, even still while hitting some home runs, it, it, but they couldn't beat the Yankees again. So it was just, ugh. So their homestand was what then? Uh, th- it was 3-6, and six, not 1-8 and eight that I thought it was going to be. So I'm not psychic. Well, <laughs> that's probably a good thing. Um, I think what else would be a good thing is if I take my break now, because uh, I'm going to come back and talk about um, some other stuff. How about that, huh? That's a real teaser for you. That's going to make you sit through the break or speed through it quicker so that you can get to my talking about something else. <laughs> anyway, you're listening to Dimland Radio on the Z Talk Radio Network, and I'll be back after this break. I'll be Hornswoggled. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. You don't say. Oh, what? You think you went off to college or something? On ztalkradio.com. That's the most amazing thing since Grandma survived the outhouse incident. He's endlessly pushing the rock of reason up the hill of paranormal. It's Dr. Dim, and you're listening to Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. Grandpa, look what I got. Wait till you see the bike we got for Jake. It is the coolest thing. Hearing loss happens gradually with age, making it easy to ignore. Yet most older Americans aren't getting their hearing tested. Dad, can you hear me? Untreated hearing loss can keep your loved ones from enjoying what they cherish most. Don't let that happen. Speak up about hearing loss. You'll be glad you did. Brought to you by the American Speech Language Hearing Association. Get him some Z's. Get him some Z's. Get him some Z's. Wake up! Listen to Z Talk Radio. 
Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. I'm having a beer as I record this. Generally, I do that. I have a beer. Long-time listeners know that, that uh, I have a beer as I record the show. And it's generally my one beer that I have a week. And you recall uh, when I talked about my California trip and all that beer I was drinking, I was drinking a lot of IPAs. So I'm having an IPA. Um, I like uh, IPAs. I think that stands for India Pale Ale. Is that what it stands for? Well, okay, IPA. Um, it's from Summit, which is a local brewery here in the Twin Cities. It's in St. Paul, and uh, and uh, I normally drink their Extra Pale Ale, the uh, EPA. Uh, I normally drink that, but uh, I thought, no, this time I'm going to get some so IPA. So uh, I'm enjoying that. They're a hoppier beer, and I, I like to be hoppy. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, okay, I, th- I, I thought I'd talk about uh, 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 multi-level marketing, my mom, and me. Uh, and um, now I've, I've touched on this kind of stuff in the past, so some of this will be familiar to you. Uh, but... Um, Multi-level marketing or direct sales, don't call it a pyramid scheme. Don't call it a pyramid scheme. But uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a system in which uh, somebody, one person, comes up with some products to sell, and they recruit people to sell those products for them, and then those people recruit people to sell those products and then those people recruit people to sell those products and then then expanding from the top down it's expanding to the base you know you get one at the top and then the and then it expands as it goes down sort of in a triangular shape what would that shape be called Uh, well don't call it a pyramid anyway um there's places like amway and Herbalife and 31, which I've learned about uh, recently. And I, I, on Facebook, I tell you, I see Facebook friends every now and then post something that says, that tells, that screams out to me, uh oh, they're into a, 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 one of these MLMs. They're into one of these. And I just think, oh, if only I, I, I don't know if I would be able to talk them out of it. It's, it's they have to find out for themselves because so many people just lose money at it and and it's 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 ridiculous the if you sit and think about how this is supposed to work you see you get brought in you know work from home just a few hours a week you you know you can be your own boss you can work as hard as you want to or you know or not as hard as you want to you know you be your own boss and you can, you know, what you do is, uh, well, you'll sell this product or, you know, insurance or whatever it is. I, I, there's, there's, there's different kinds of things. I guess the 31 thing is handbags. And a, a Facebook friend of mine was posting stuff about handbags. And then 
mentioned something about a 31 party and and said you know she's, you know I was being a smart ass about something else and uh, to this person and she said you know you better watch it or I'll make you come to one of my 31 parties and I and then I found out 31 is is a multi-level marketing thing and by my recollection of knowing this person this is the third MLM she's gotten involved in uh, first one was some makeup thing uh, she I mean she she's the ex-wife of a friend of mine uh, she's also a friend but you know she's the ex-wife and uh, so I'm friends with both on Facebook and and I don't see them anymore I just kind of keep in touch with them a little bit through Facebook but not really much and I and and anyway so when we when they were still married and I'd go over and visit uh, you know she had signed up to this thing where she does makeup and she was determining what's what season of the year I am uh, I as I recall I might be winter which means these colors will work on you and this kind of you know, it's like hey, whatever and so I, I'm thinking back on that thing I, I want you know I'm not absolutely certain it was a multi-level marketing thing but I I think it was it's just but I, I didn't know what they were at the time and uh, then um, then uh, she got into this, uh, well, it was a lingerie thing. And I think that was one, too, was one of those. Because um, she was trying to sell the, the product. And then for years, I, as far as I know, she didn't get anything else. And then now it's this handbag thing on, on, on the Facebook. And lately I haven't seen anything to it. So maybe she realized her mistake early on and got out. But a lot of people, they it's a sunk cost kind of thing. I'm in for a penny, in for a pound. You know, it's just I'm in this far, might as well keep going. Um, or they don't want to, you know, you hear they they come out great guns about oh this thing is great, this candle making deal, or the stuff you can get from Herbalife or whatever. It's all great, you know, it's weight loss stuff or it's whatever it is, and they're they're all high on it and they're energized in it. And then you just don't hear about it after a while because they start to realize. I can't sell this stuff, and I can't get other people signed up. I might get a, you know, somebody. And see, the idea is, you get in, you sell this stuff, but you're also trying to recruit people. And as Brian Dunning puts it in a in a in a video uh, for his In Fact series, he has a three minute video on this multi level marketing thing. There's a couple things I'll be telling you that the information I got from him. He says you're the business model of it is you you are recruiting people to compete with you. And the example he gives is he says, you open up a you know a shoe store, in a, in a, in your town, and and not only do you sell shoes, but you try to get other people to sell shoes to open up shoe stores in the town, and to pretty and they get more people to open up shoe stores in the town, and pretty soon you've got everybody selling shoes and you got nobody to buy them. It's just not it it just wouldn't work. And and then he talks about how. You know these recruiting people. They they say if you can get just five good people, oh people will flake out and, and burn out on it and not you know and give up. But if you can get five good people, and they can get five good people, you know that's that becomes your downstream. So percentages of the sales of the people in your downstream come up to you, and percentages of your sales go up to the people that got you into it, which goes up to the top. Narrower and narrower and narrower as it gets to the top. It's sort of, what is that shape? That shape. But don't call it a pyramid scheme. What is that shape? Anyway, that's that's how it. That's how you're brought in, and it sounds great. But then, you know, just what Brian Dunning does. He says, okay, just say that it is five. You get five people. How many rounds will this take? Of you know. 
there's the first person, they get five people, and then each of those five people get five people, and each of those people get five people, and you go through round after round after round of that of getting five people. Do you know how many rounds it takes to get to just about the number of people that live on the planet? It takes 13 rounds, and you get just over 6 billion. You go to the 14th round, you know, those, those 6.1 billion people each get five people, you're looking at 30.5 billion. Now, there aren't that many people on this planet. It's just, it's ludicrous. But then it's, it's not going to work. And, it's, and so people end up quitting and, and they end up in debt and they end up with bunches of product, you know, the garages filled with product or basements filled with products or whatever. And they end up alienating friends and family. It's just, I just want, you know, not to get involved. Well, I had some memories of this. I'm pretty sure I was pretty sure I was accurate as far as the basics of it, and is that my mom was involved with a multi-level marketing thing. So I went over to, her, to 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 visit with her the other day, and and I asked her, "So, mom, what do you remember about Shackley? Shackley is a uh, is a multi-level marketing scheme." Where they the, the products that they sell are you know vitamins and uh, health, other health products and cleaning products, you know toothpaste, dish you know uh, you know liquid you know the, the dishwash soap you know for when you wash dishes in the sink, not for your dishwasher but for you know for that you know they they had that kind of stuff and my mom was selling Shackley stuff, and I, and I as I recall she didn't she she didn't really do much. She, she, the house didn't get filled with product or that. So I asked her about it. What did she, what did she remember of it? And she, she never really got too deep into it. There was some woman that tried, tried to recruit her, but mom kind of helped her. Like uh, there was a couple of parties. They, they do these parties, get together, and here's all this stuff, and they have these parties. So mom uh, had you know a couple of parties at at our house. Uh, you know, but she never. She never really got deep into it because she said she just realized she's not a salesperson. That's just not something she does. It's just not something in her. She knew that limitation. And like mother, like son. <laughs> because some years later, in the, in the 90s, before I met Amy, I was living with my friend John, and some neighbors across the street had come over. I was doing some artwork stuff for them. And I think they were picking up some art or whatever they were doing. And they, you know, so once I finished that business, they said they had an opportunity for me, which is the language they use when they approach you about these things. And they told me about this stuff, and I don't even remember what it was. And I listened politely, and when they got all the way through it, I said, well, it sounds really good, and I hope it works out for you guys, but I'm just not a salesperson. I just, I just wouldn't, I just, I just not, I'm just not that. I'm an artist. I'm not a, I'm not a sales guy. I, I draw you know, I'm just, I'm just not. So they, they said, okay, well, you know, thanks for listening and all that, and we'll have you do more artwork for us or something, or, you know, and that was, that was that. And I didn't at that time, I didn't really even know about. I mean, I knew of Amway, I knew you know, Tupperware and and Avon. Those are those are those are those kinds of things as well. Uh, and I, I knew about them, but I didn't know the whole rigmarole that the that the you know they they represent until I started getting into skepticism and reading this material and and consuming all this kind of stuff learning about this and I started learning about multi-level marketing well so we go 
forward a few years, and I'm working as a janitor, and this is now why, about 16 years ago or so, there's this building that I clean. I still do it. And I, two nights a week. I cleaned it earlier tonight. Um, when I first started working in that building, there there was uh, there were about I don't know three or four businesses headquartered in the building, an accounting firm, and then a couple other things. And there, there was one little uh, well, it wasn't too little. It took up half uh, of one end of the building. There was this one group that had something to do with Primerica, which was some kind of an insurance thing, I think, or investing. I'm not exactly certain what they were, but um, I started work cleaning in the building, and this 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 one particular suite that had all these people in it always had somebody in there. At no matter what time of night, they'd be coming in and out, getting on the phones, and d d always always there. And I just thought, okay, you know, I got to work around these people. But within the first couple of months working in that building, I was approached four times. Once by one person twice, okay? One person did twice, okay? Um, it, but four times I was approached. He says, you really ought to ought to work for us. You know, if you thought about this, you could work for us. And I just went, uh, no, 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 that's, that's fine. I can, you know. And they weren't saying work for us to clean the building. No, no, they wanted me to get into this thing, uh, whatever it was, um, which I figured, you know, just looking around, I started seeing some of the posters in there and some of the stuff about, you know, the this couple here is a double diamond level or whatever, you know, stuff like that. So I would see that and I just go, okay, I know, I know what this is all about. And the very fact that I, at that point, I'd worked for the company, well, I worked for this maintenance service since 1989. And I'd worked at places where I had to go in while there were still people in the office. I had to get in at no later than 4.30 so that there was a certain section of the building I had to clean under supervision because, you know, it was a pharmacy. And they didn't, you know, they would they wanted me to get in there and clean it while the pharmacist is there so they can make sure I'm under supervision so I'm not taking any of the drugs or anything. So, you know, so that's what you had to do. And so people were there. It's 4.30. You know, they're still there. They haven't left for the day. And they got to know me. And I would talk to the boss of this group. And she got to know me. And know me by name. She'd come up to, you know, talk to me about stuff and, you know, whatever. And never once in all that time working for these places and getting to know the people that work there had any of them said, you should come work for us. Never once. But at this one place, which happened to be a multi-level marketing kind of thing, four times... In, a, in the span of a couple of months. So that, that solidified it for me. I knew at the time I wasn't going to get involved. Now, I bring it up uh, mainly because I just got done listening to this podcast series called The Dream. And it's, uh, it's I think it's 11 parts where they examine multi-level marketing, how it affects people, what's, all, what's it's all about. Don't call them pyramid schemes. But they, you know, they go through the the history of them and how, you know, how it affects lives. And it's infuriating and it's depressing. You feel very sorry for some of these people that just got so uh, caught up into it. Um, and even my mom, still to this day, even though she didn't get deep into it, she still thinks the product is good. Maybe the product was good, but I, you know. I don't know. There's there's still that little bit of an investment. But um, I learned about 
the Dream podcast from this other podcast I listened to called Squaring the Strange. They did a, an episode about multi-level marketing, and during that, they recommended that you listen to The Dream because that'll, you know, it's even more of an expanded because it's you know, 11 parts, and I think each episode's about an hour. So uh, you should check that out. So I'll put st- links in the show notes. You go to dimland.com. Click on the blog option and you'll get to the show notes. So I'll put links to all this stuff. You should also check out that Squaring the Strange episode. I'll link to that. And uh, there's a um, there's a piece that John Oliver did on his show for HBO called Last Week Tonight. He did a piece on multi-level marketing. Uh, uh, it's very funny, but it's also very depressing. And that's very infuriating because you see how people get taken in and how they get used by these uh, these companies. And, uh, and then the uh, In Fact video. That Brian Dunning put together. I'll put. I'll. I'll. I'll link to all those things. Uh, should I take my next break? I'm going to take my next break. I'm taking these breaks early. Wow. I'm backloading the show because I got more stuff to talk about. But don't. You know, somebody approaches you, just say, "Oh, thanks. It sounds great, but um, I hope it works for you." But I'm just not a salesperson. I'm sorry. I'm just not going to be able to do it. Um, it's uh, some people might. Hopefully, the person will be. We'll, we'll, we'll bow out and say, okay, I, I tried. Uh, but sometimes it can be persistent. I know of somebody who has a friend who's very persistent on a certain scheme that they're part of. Don't call it a pyramid scheme. Right now. And uh, the person I know says she's, she's a little frustrated about that situation with this friend. So, hey, you know... What can I tell you? So, uh, anyway, you're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. Uh, I shall return after this break with uh, more stuff that that's actually memory uh, uh, memory related. Yeah, that's, that's see, I teased what I'm going to talk about. I billboarded it. I think that's what they say in the biz. I'll be back. <laughs> There are things that I'd like to say, but I'm never talking to you again. There's things I'd like to pray somewhere, but I'm never talking to you again. I'm never talking to you again. I'm never talking to you. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Val Tor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern on Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Talk Radio Network. When, oh when, will someone design an exploding head emoticon? Please, someone, anyone. You're listening to Dimland Radio on Talk Radio Network. Hey, this is Danny Potts from the Kentucky Ghost Chasers, and you're listening to Talk Radio.
time for another Dimland Radio pedantic moment. What did they get wrong this time, Dim? Well, <laughs> I'll tell you what they got wrong this time and who they they was. Uh, it's Penn Gillette. Uh, this is a. Uh, it, it has to do with memory, and uh, so I'm going to uh, tell this. Uh, encapsulize the story that Penn tells. Uh, hopefully quickly. So let's get to it. Um, there's a video on the internets, on the YouTube. I will link to it in the show notes. In which uh, the first half of it is Penn Gillette on his podcast, uh, Penn Sunday School, uh, talking about the second appearance that Penn and Teller did on David Letterman's you know, Late Night with David Letterman, which I saw when it happened because I was crazy about Letterman and watched him just about every night. Tuesday nights I wouldn't because I'd be going to First Avenue, but otherwise I would watch it every night. Um, Penn and Teller, uh, he, he's, he's, Penn's telling the story from his memory. This, this first, the first appearance on Letterman was in 1985. The second one was sometime after that. So we're looking at, uh, which is obvious, isn't it? We're looking at memories that are close to 35 years old. So, so Penn is talking about it, and he, the way he describes, he does a brief description of the first appearance in which the trick that Penn and Teller do for Dave is uh, what uh, Penn calls a hand stab, and it's uh, it's a card trick. They're you know they're trying to find is this your card, and Teller uh, is blindfolded and he's got a he's got a buck knife and he's stabbing this this butcher block top table with cards spread out on it, playing cards, and he does a stab and he lifts holds it up. And it's not Dave's card, and Penn says, "Oh, geez, sorry, that's, of course it's not your card." And then Penn puts his hand down on the table, lays it flat on the table, and Teller stabs him in the back of the hand. And you know, Peller, uh, Penn pulls his hand up, screaming, "Ah, ah!" in pain. And in, the knife had gone through the palm of his hand, and there's a card pinned to the palm of his hand as well, and that's Dave's card, and he's got blood coming down. His, his forearm and he's screaming in pain uh, and the way Penn tells it he takes his hand, his hand comes up and blood gets on Dave's you know this fake blood gets on Dave's face you know and and Dave doesn't like that kind of stuff uh, and so they, they, you know, when they, they go to commercial after that um, Penn's feeling a little nervous about this because Dave had, you know, even then he had a reputation, and it's like, but he's, he goes over and says, "You're okay," and Dave says, "Oh, that was great." And he takes the two of them aside with nobody else around. He says, "All right, all right, I have a bit of a reputation of being an asshole, which you know, uh, you know, I'd like to try to dispel that. So what I want, you know, when you guys come back on the show, you know, be as mean to me as you want, you know, be just just treat me terribly." Be as mean to me as you want with whatever trick you do. It's just, just you know, when you you know come back on the show, and and so so oh great, we get to come back on the show, and 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 so they 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 schedule one, uh, another appearance, and so Penn starts talking about this, that their second appearance and what they're going to do. He says, how can we, you know, we're supposed to be mean to Dave. What can we do? Uh, you know, what can we get him with? And. Uh, and I think Teller had the idea. Said, "Well, how about instead of uh, pulling a rabbit from a hat, we we do co- uh, do cockroaches?" So they develop a routine around this this bit, which 
is supposed to start out really lame. Some, re you know, do some lame routine that uh, they told uh, they told Dave before they started the routine that uh, watch this closely and because we want you to critique it. This is something we're working on and we think it's pretty good, but we want to get your honest opinion about it. So they 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 go out to the stage in front of the audience over by Paul and and the band starts playing the song uh, 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 Do You Believe in Magic by Eleven Spoonful. And and Penn's sort of singing the lyrics. Do you believe in magic? And then he just repeat magic here and there while uh, Teller is sort of dancing around. He's doing these really lame tricks where he's got a top hat and he pulls these scarfs out of it and he makes stuff appear. But it's just it's not it's not the kind of tricks that Penn and Teller even that early in their career are known for. So um, at at the, the finale for it, they pull a rabbit out of the hat. And then they go over and sit with Dave, and they get out their little notebook, and they're and say, okay, you know, and, and they have criteria that they're asking Dave, you know, to to you know critique them on. And Dave's just kind of he essentially says, it, uh, lame comes to mind, and and I think he was prompted to bring up this part of it. There's, there was really no surprise in it, and at, when they had when they had sat down to talk to Dave about it. Teller had put the top hat on Dave's desk. You know, he had set it down where the, the you know, so it's upright, you know, where the part where that sits on your head, the hole is on the desk. So the top of the hat, he's got the rabbit sitting on there. So um, Dave says there was no surprise to it. So Teller gets up and he comes around. He gives the, you know, he, he, he picks up the, the hat and all these cockroaches just just pour out of it. And Penn says that he's got you know cockroaches hidden in his suit, and they come pouring out of his suit. And they, he said, I, I I kick the hat or hit the hat or something, and and a bunch of cockroaches get all over Dave. They're on his suit, and and you know and everybody's shocked and all that. And they go to commercial. And you know, and I mean, and Penn says they had they had thousands of cockroaches, thousands and thousands of cockroaches. They just poured on the desk. And they go to commercial, and they go over to Dave and say, you know, this, how, how is you okay? And Dave says, get the F away from me. Get the, you know, he just, just pours it on him. Now, this is a little truncated of the story because, you know, Penn goes into the, the whole rehearsal thing. Dave is kept in the dark about what's going to happen, and the, producers, or the producer doesn't think it should be done. But, they, but Dave says, no, no, let them do what they're going to do. And, and so this happens. And... Tell, and then Penn tell, tells of the next day they get a phone call from Dave saying that was great. That was great. I mean, he was upset in the moment, but he thought it was great. So this is the, that's the story as told by Penn Jillette some 30-plus years after the event. But the thing is, both appearances are on video on YouTube. In fact, the one where he's telling the story about the second appearance... That that's the first half of it. The second half is that appearance, where you get to watch it. So I watched the I watched the first one with the hand stab, and Penn you know pulls his hand up and he's screaming and there's blood coming down his his, his forearm, but Dave was standing to Penn's side, slightly behind Penn. So there was even if there was blood thrown from there, the way Penn moved his hand, the blood would have been thrown forward. It wouldn't have hit Dave. So I look at it again. Dave doesn't have a drop of blood on him. Not a single drop of blood on him. Not on his face. Not on his suit. He's got a light blue suit jacket and a white shirt. If he had blood on him, you would have seen it. 
So he doesn't. He has not a drop on him. And then the cockroach story, the way Penn tells it 30-something years later, there is thousands of cockroaches. I think it was more like dozens of cockroaches. Maybe a, hundreds, maybe, but I think... You know, there was a lot of cockroaches. They got bigger ones and smaller ones, and they got all these kind of cockroaches. The ones that wouldn't move too fast so the camera can catch them. So there's no... But there were none coming out of Penn's suit. He, in one hand, he had the rabbit. <laughs> he's holding the rabbit in one hand, and he's trying to pick up a cockroach, and he picks one up, and he tries to get Dave to take it. But Dave immediately jumped out of his chair and moved to the back of, the, uh, of his desk set, over back by the windows. He's got the windows in the back there, and he just say, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. And they say, oh, you know, it's, it's just go ahead, Dave. You said, here, grab one or hold one or something. And they said, no thanks, no thanks. And, and then he, Dave points out that the rabbit was going to eat them or something, and, and they're doing this routine. But he didn't seem angry. He was, he, he was kind of chuckling, and he was making some jokes, and they, they throw it to a commercial. I, I think... I don't think, you know, he, he'd be yelling at them, saying F you to the guys, get the F away from me. I've seen Dave angry on his show. There was the time that uh, Crispin Glover appeared, uh, the actor Crispin Glover, who's best known for playing Marty McFly's dad in Back to the Future. He's on there, and he's he's a kind of a performance artist as well as an actor, and he does some odd stuff. And so it's his first appearance on Dave's, Dave's show, and he's, he's looking odd, and he's doing some routine that Dave is thinking, this is not going over. And, and it, it, for, you know, Glover starts getting a little goof, even goofier, and he starts saying, I, I'm strong! And he starts, you know, flexing his arm muscles, and he, then he gets up and he, and he kicks at Dave. Dave is just sitting there with his legs crossed, and, and whatever Crispin's saying, Dave's just kind of going, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then he kicks at Dave. He doesn't hit him, but the foot gets fairly close to his face, and Dave just gets up and says, yeah, I'll go check on the top ten list now, and uh, he throws it to commercial and, and, and walks away and leaves and leaves Crispin there on his own, so Glover sits back down in the chair and he's just kind of sitting there, and then they go to commercial and they usher, usher him off, and then when they come back, Dave riffs on that moment, and he was angry. You could see it in, in his reaction, but the reaction to the cockroaches wasn't anger. He was pleased. So, I bring I, I, the reason I'm talking about this is this is an example how, over time, memories change. I have no doubt that Penn remembers it the way he was telling it on his podcast, and I have also no doubt that if I were to tell this to Penn, saying, you know, your story about your first appearance and your second appearance on Letterman, uh, the video doesn't really back up what you were saying happened. Um, it's, it seems as though over time you've kind of built it up, and because uh, you know, he had no blood on him and he had no cockroaches on him, it's it's it, it's just it, they weren't there, and uh, you know, and and Penn would say, you know, you're probably right. In fact, on his podcast more than once he's talked about how he'll be with Teller. And Teller and a bunch of other people, and Teller will be telling some story that happened to Penn and Teller uh, at some point. And and Penn listens politely, but he's thinking to himself, "This is not no, that's not how I remember it." He's getting it all wrong. Penn is also somebody who keeps a journal, so what he'll do is he'll go back and he'll check his journal about that story, and he'll find it and he'll read it, and he'll discover that both he and Teller were wrong. So you know, he got this, his memory of that moment was wrong. So I'm sure he'd say, "Yeah, that's uh, 
you know, that that's probably you're probably right because uh, you know over time things happen. It's like uh, I've heard it said about the um, about the Gospels in the Bible. Now I don't know if the Gospels uh, uh, are presented chronologically in the Bible as as meaning as uh, the one that was written the earliest, and I can't remember which was the earliest and which was the latest. But I'm told that. You know, scholars that have figured out, you know, I think the first book was written something like 30 or 40 years after Jesus died, and uh, even assuming he existed at all, uh, but the first book was written that much later. But as the books become, uh, get written later and later, you know, further and further away from when Jesus died, the miraculousness of the stories gets greater and greater. And that may be, you know, what Penn was doing there might reflect that same thing. So, so there's one thing we learned, or I learned watching that, is that memory is not videotape. You watch that video of the first appearance and the second appearance, you will not see quite the story that Penn tells. So that's how it goes. I'm not saying this to knock on Penn. It's just memory is not videotape. Okay, uh, another thing, and this is uh, memory related, uh, last week, I think it was last week, my wife had, uh, she'd been saying that I should check out this one series that's on Netflix. Uh, she'd watched it, and she said, I really want to watch it with you. So we sat down one night, and we watched this uh, uh, mini-series on, uh, that's on Netflix, and it's called uh, Manhunt Unabomber. So it's Manhunt with a colon, Unabomber. And I guess, it well, it first appear, uh, aired on the Discovery Channel. And what it is, is it's a dramatization of the the last couple of years uh, of the search for the Unabomber. And uh, and then and then after catching him, trying to get him to plead guilty. Because uh, they didn't want a trial. They wanted, if they pled guilty, guilty they just, you know, they'd, they'd sentence him and fine. But anyway, um, so it stars Sam Worthington, I think that's his name, who plays a fellow named Jim Fitzgerald. Jim Fitz, huh? That's a has a familiar ring to it, and the uh, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, is played by Paul Bettany, who is very good in the series. And the series is not bad. It's 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 interesting, and of course, it, it's a dramatization. So there's time compression. There may be some liberties taken, maybe, but I think for the most part, it follows the idea along. And the co contribution that Fitzgerald did, with along with this professor from a, ling a linguist linguistics professor from a local university uh, the two of them work out this this thing called forensic linguistics and that is uh, the Unabomber had sent all kinds of letters that the FBI had and you know so Fitzgerald thought well you know if we read these letters we can see what we can learn about the guy we can see if we can figure out where he lived how what how old he is you know how, if he's educated or where he was educated that you might be able to find the stuff out now i won't give away you know stuff i want you to watch it it's on netflix it's good so um so they, they show how that that worked and uh there's a uh, i said to i leaned over to my wife at one point and i said but didn't his brother turn him in which is she said to me, "Just, just watch. You'll see. You'll see how it handles." So, if you recall, the FBI recommended to the Department of Justice to go ahead and uh, publish 
in the Washington Post, just the one newspaper. There was a reason why they wanted it, there were two reasons why they wanted to publish it just in the Washington Post. Uh, the uh, Unabomber's Manifesto. Uh, the, uh, the first reason I won't, I won't give away, uh, but the second reason was they were hoping that somebody out here in America, or wherever that newspaper would, you know, would find itself, and somebody would read that and recognize the person who wrote it. And it did generate a lot of leads, but there were a lot of you know phony leads or bad leads or whatever. But um, in the in the in the film, uh, they show that um, the uh, um, Ted's brother David, his younger brother, his wife, a woman named Linda Patrick, I think that's her name. Uh, she's reading the manifesto, and then David comes home, and she's got this look on her face, and he says, "What? what what's going you on?" Know, she says, "She tells him, I think this is your brother." And then he reads it and says, well, I don't know, it's kind of... But she said, you know, that letter, and she's referring to a letter that Ted had written to his brother uh, uh, um, admonishing him for getting married. And and she says, it's there's, you know, there's stuff in here. So she does convince David that we should at least see if we can find out, you know, see what, what the FBI might tell us, but they want to do it anonymously. So they work through their lawyer. The letter that... Ted sent to David gets sent on to the FBI. It goes into the forensics department first before it gets to Fitzgerald. And the forensics people, they look for you know what typewriter it was, what ink it is, any marks on the paper, watermarks, anything. They start looking for that kind of stuff to see if it's identifiable as a Unabomber letter. And they determine, the forensics department determines that it's not. So David and his wife, Linda, they're breathing a sigh of relief when they got the word, but... And I won't say how it happens, but a copy of the letter finds its way to into Fitz's hands, and he reads it, and he says, this is the Unabomber. He works the FBI magic and finds David, and he is trying to convince David that this is his brother, because he wants David to come forward and say, you know, to bring this forward to the FBI. And uh, there's a moment where they start to talk about the sketch, the, the very famous sketch. that was It was put on the cover of Newsweek magazine, and you know the sketch. When I mentioned the Unabomber, that image probably popped into your head. The, the, the white dude in a hoodie with the hood up, with the aviator sunglasses, and a thin mustache. You, you, you see the image. So in the, in, the, in the dramatization of this, they actually use the the Newsweek cover, but they compare it to the photograph of Paul Bettany. And there's not much resemblance there. And the brother's saying that they, it doesn't really match. As I don't see it. He's close to being tipped to the point, but that, that, that sketch doesn't work. Well, this is, this is where uh, uh, Fitz tells him, says, but that's not the Unabomber, that sketch. And we learn that that sketch, the famous sketch, was drawn seven years after the uh, the 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 witnessing of the Unabomber, the, the suspected Unabomber. Seven years later, and he said what they determined was that I mean there was a sketch done uh, at the time just after the, the event. There, some woman was in her office. She looks outside into the parking lot. She sees this guy in a hooded sweatshirt with the sunglasses leaving a box on the ground. She doesn't think much of it until the box explodes and injures somebody. And so she, she sits down with a sketch artist and she 
tells this, you know, what she saw. But this, the drawing that became famous was done seven years later. So what Fitz tells David is that the woman in the second sketch, the witness is describing the sketch artist who did the first sketch. So he, he produces, then Fitz produces the first sketch, and the brother sees it, and it does look more like Paul Bettany. I will say that neither sketch looks much like Ted Gazinski. <laughs> uh, it's just, I don't think I would have spotted, Ted, I would have thought of Ted if I saw that sketch. I don't think I would have. But anyway, whatever. But that was enough to convince the brother to come to come forward and say, you know, here's this letter and all this kind of stuff. And that, and that led to the capture of uh, the Unabomber. I wondered while watching that, I wonder if that's a dramatization. I wonder if that's a little bit of... Uh, is that true? Is it right? Is this just something that they came up with for the show? Or is this right? So I looked it up. It turns out that maybe the FBI never actually admitted to it, but it turns out that it's uh, in 1994, shortly after the Newsweek uh, uh, article uh, or Newsweek cover with the sketch on it comes out, the artist, the original artist who did the very first sketch seven years prior, he shows up on this uh, Newsweek or news magazine uh, tabloidish type show called American Journal. It's hosted by Nancy Glass. And they show the, the fellow, his name is Robert Exter, and he's, you know, he puts on the aviator sunglasses, he puts a hoodie on, he's got the little mustache, and, he's, and, he, and he does look remarkably or similar to the Newsweek sketch, the, the, the one that was done by an artist named Jeannie Boyland. And she has a different way of doing the, this kind of sketches. That there's a, a, it had been developed over time to, to just, uh, they would have uh, sketch artists and, and making these composites would have these books that would have all these different pieces of, uh, 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 you know, like eyes and noses and the person would uh, pick what would work and they'd put it together. And they may maybe do a sketch of it then after that. Um, and uh, but what she does, this this Boylan, she sits down with the person and she talks to him and she teases out this information and then she draws it out. Now, as in the show, as uh, as uh, uh, Fitz is telling to, to David, he says, "What makes more, you know, it makes sense, doesn't he?" Says it's three seconds looking at this suspect that might be the Unabomber, and she spends. The witness spends a couple hours or so working with this artist, so it's you know the brain does some weird things, and I thought so. I, I think that's very plausible. Uh, when they show this piece, and I'll link to it on the show notes, um, they they interview Boylan, and she says, "Well, you know, he's found a, a novel way to 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 get on TV or something." <laughs> And uh, you know, and she's very defensive of it. She was a, the witness was very ac articulate and very. You know, but it's seven years later, seven years later. I think it's much more likely she was picturing the artist and not the suspect. I think that's far more likely because it it, it does seem kind of close. But I'm no expert in this kind of stuff. I, you know, what do I know? But I do know there is an expert out there. It's a woman named Elizabeth Loftus. 
she's a professor. She does talks about memory. She does studies on false memory and memory implantation and all this kind of stuff. She's done TED talks and she's been on podcasts. She's written articles and I've you know seen some of read some of her stuff. I think she's read some written some books and you know I think I've you know I, uh, I watched the TED talk thing she did and I knew about her and. Um, I looked her up on the internets, and I found the uh, the university she worked at, and I see that there was an email that I could send her an email, and uh, so I did. I took a chance. I said, I'm, "I know you're busy, but I, I watched this show. This has happened. I gave it, you know, gave it some information. I just wanted to get your take on it." And she did respond. It's 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 quite uh, brief and to the point. She wrote to, back to me. She said. Uh, all other things equal, the earlier sketch should be more the more accurate. And I, I would agree. Although, I, like I said, uh, the two sketches, I've looked at them, neither of them really look much like Ted Kaczynski. But that was kind of cool. So an expert's agreeing, at least with the point that, because I said, I would think that this seems likely and that the earlier sketch is probably more correct. And you know, like when Penn listens to tell her tell a story and thinks that's wrong that's not what i remember and then he consults his journal which was written shortly after the event that's being remembered that that journal entry is going to be far more accurate than Penn's much older memory so yeah memory it's not videotape who knew uh, i do have three cool things before i get out of here i've already talked about two of them and that's the first appearance of Penn and Teller on Dave Letterman and number two would be the second appearance on Dave Letterman's show, the Late Night with Dave Letterman. And number three, let's keep it with Penn and Teller, their legendary performance that they did on the Saturday Night Live uh, where they did the performance upside down. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, I mean, I hope that didn't spoil it for you, but it's, it's pretty obvious they're upside down and they're doing this gravity-defying stuff because they have the camera make it look like they were right side up so they're doing all this gravity defying stuff and there's a moment in there Penn tells this he says where he tosses a little light bulb back and forth in his hands and he says it never worked he always dropped it in all the rehearsals that they did and all the times they did the only time it worked was when they were live doing the bit before the audience so uh, check that out that'll be on the show notes page I'll link to each one of them uh, and I hope you've had at least three cool things happen for good you this night, week good night Frau Doctor good night Frau Blucher well I've got to the end of an yet another Dimland Radio for the 419th Dimland Radio. Be skeptical. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Don't get into those multi-level marketings, but don't call them pyramids. Uh, I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, reminding you all to sleep with the lights off. check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission.
This has been a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. And now, a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for tuning us in. Well, I'm going to hell. <laughs>